welcome back or welcome for your first time to Parenting is Political, the podcast. The my, name, <laughs> my name is Mo and my pronouns are they, them. My name is Jasmine and my pronouns are she, her. Yeah. Um, it's been a minute since we recorded an episode because my computer broke. And honestly, I am in a cranky mood tonight, so let's see how this goes. Yeah, this will be interesting. <laughs> Are you cranky for a reason? Do you want to talk about it? My ex-girlfriend behaves like garbage. Oh, we're doing that? Okay. Sorry. It's fine. Uh... <laughs> so we're going to do... We're going to do a Q&A because at the end of every episode, I'm always like, hey, if you have questions, email me. And then nobody really ever emails me. But then people DM me on Instagram a lot, and so that's why we're here, because that's the age we live in. Who emails? I don't know. But we do DM on Instagram. So we're answering some questions. We only have three, um, so it'll be a shorter episode. Um, But after listening to this one, if you have any questions, you can DM me on Instagram at parentingispoliticalhandle, or you can actually email me at contact at parentingispolitical.org. Are you ready to jump in? Let's do this. Um, so let's start with this question that says, as a grandparent, how do you best inform and influence the grandbaby's parents? Mm. Okay. <laughs> you want me to tackle this one? Yeah, okay. sure. You buy a stagecoach. <laughs> you put the baby in the stagecoach. You run across the country. Far away from the parents. In like a high speed Western style stagecoach. Just so unhelpful. <laughs> okay. You're fired. <laughs> okay, so the most helpful thing really is to have authentic and vulnerable conversations with people, mm-hmm. particularly the way we structure cultures in the United States. Um, biological parents or adoptive parents, like origin nuclear family parents, which are all really horrible yeah. phrases. Um, are endowed so much power and, and there's sort of like this social capital around, you don't tell me how to raise my kid, even if you're the parent of the parents of the child. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so, you know, a lot, there are so many things that have contributed to that norm and moved away from this collectivity. Um, you know, we, you know, from listening to our episodes, I'm sure that capitalism, white supremacy, um, call up this individualism that really says that, you, you know, a, as a parent, I am not beholden to anyone else. It's up to me and me alone to raise my child in this way. And so I think making an appeal around your relationship, if you have that relationship capital to say, hey, here's some things that I'm learning and here's how I'm transforming. And I think the other really loving and vulnerable approach is to say, hey, whenever I was parenting you, I didn't know these things. Mm -hmm. And I'm learning them now. And I regret that I didn't know them. And I wish I could provide this to you. But you and I both have an opportunity to provide my grandchildren with this new paradigm. And so in light of that, I think that's a good way to start a conversation. Um, And then if the parents aren't going for it, then I would just, like, sneak it in as quiet propaganda. That's what the Christians do, right? (laughs) I mean, you're not wrong, though. Like, I don't disagree with that. 
<laughs> like if someone's standing in my way of like teaching children that it's okay to like love everybody regardless of any identity. You get an Easter egg. Then you like teach that shit to them on the side. <laughs> no, really? Yeah. No, really? During Halloween, you hold out, you give out pamphlets, and instead of like, if you don't repent, you're going to hell, the pamphlets say, if you don't love everyone, you're a bad person. Yeah, exactly. Great. We can get creative with it. Um, I hope that's helpful. Yeah. It probably isn't. um, But like, ultimately, the the one thing that your grandkids are going to remember about these things are not what you verbalize and teach them or that you persuade their parents to teach them Mm -hmm. because knowing a thing without changing how you live is not really anything yeah and so it's it's more than just the teaching it's doing and there are plenty of things as a grandparent that you can do to decolonize how uh you know the, the harmful habits um that have shown up in relationship and sure if the parent doesn't get on board there's still going to be an impact right that kid's going to still internalize a lot of really violent societal rhetoric based in systems of violence and domination. Um, But they'll always have you as a reference for a different path and a different way. And I think young people hold on to those folks and they become sort of guideposts in adulthood that they look back on and reflect and go, oh, I am a whole lot less fucked up because that one person. And I know that's true for me around English teachers, around Mm -hmm. Parent, uh, parents, my, my friends' parents, um, just like random folks who had touch points in my life whenever my mother showed up as problematic or violent in ways, I remember thinking about those other folks. Mm-hmm. And so how you live is far more critical than what you convince the, the parents of this child that you're a grandparent to uh, shift. Yeah. Well, I would have to agree. But if all else fails, I'm still going to put all my money on the stagecoach idea. Yeah. Just get... The hell out of Dodge. Kill the baby. <laughs> cool. Um, I don't really have anything to add. I don't think I would be adding anything that uh, I wouldn't just be like rephrasing and saying again. So I am so smart. We're just going to skip over the <laughs> three minutes of me trying to say what you just said. Probably less pretty. Moving on to second question of this podcast. I think this was for me. If I'm going to have to take a guess. Loki, I'm concerned that some of your enemies are trolling you. Should I not? No, you should say it. And then um, I'll answer too. Okay, cool. Uh, it's The question, I don't know who asked it, said, how do you heal after being cut away from your parents? They don't understand non-binary. Um, you're going to eat the, you're gonna do the popcorn that we talked about? <laughs> Jasmine likes to snack on the podcast. <laughs> Refer to the Cheeto episode. Um, yeah, how do you heal after that? I don't know. Um, that's a really heavy, loaded question. I don't know um, if I would say that I have arrived at a place that I am healed. I don't know if that's something that will ever truly have like a finishing point on it. I can say, though, that um, my chosen family has saved my life. And are much more powerful and influential and healing um, than any sort of biological connection that I could have. Just in the ways that they've shown up and supported me. Um, So shout out to all of my chosen family. Jasmine and the kids and Erica and Erica um, and Brandon and all all the folks that we always see and talk about and 
hang out with. All of y'all are the realest, and um, I've helped in all that healing process. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's one of those things. It's like you have to learn to love yourself because waiting for the love and acceptance of family members, your biological family unit, who may never show up and give that to you, if you're just spending your whole life waiting for it, it's going to suck. Um, so I've learned how to love myself and let others who want to love me and want to show up for me show up and take that space. And I'm learning how to accept that love. I mean, I think that's really unfair. The last part of what you said, you didn't just like magically learn how to love yourself. Love for yourself came from people around you loving you well. Yeah, that was the whole last three minutes of what I said. <laughs> my chosen family like saved my life. They showed up. They oh, loved okay. me. Therefore, I could love myself. Oh, I didn't. I didn't receive how you framed it. Oh no, as that. My bad. Then yes, it was like I get some chosen family plus learn to love yourself. Yeah, I mean, I think those things like follow. I don't think I could have learned how to love myself if I hadn't been shown what good love is from folks who truly love me. Yeah. I also think that the premise of the question is a problem, right? It, yeah. it supposes that healing is possible and exactly. or it's preferable. Yeah. Um, That's why I struggled to And sort it. of like closing, closing the chapter on pain in that way. I don't know. I don't mean, I think that I mean, I've not, I don't, upon reflection, coming out queer, I don't think that I ever had, I mean, I lost people who were quote unquote friends, but they were more mm-hmm. social connections around the church and I didn't like them very much anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think I've lost any family for coming out as queer. Mm-hmm. I've lost family for telling the truth about other family members who are sexual predators. Yeah. You've lost a lot of family members over just speaking truth about facts. Yeah, that's wild. Mm -hmm. That's a hard one, y'all. Yeah, it is. And I think so much we rush into conversations about healing because, particularly those of us with more privilege than others, because our tolerance for discomfort Mm -hmm. is so low. Um, And sometimes, like, we just need to feel the pain. Yeah, I mean, pain we, demand to be demands to be felt. Hazel Grace. All right, John Green. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I think you know. I'm sure that there are so many folks who are listening or have listened who, you know, are are adult people who don't have connections with their families anymore for various reasons and. And, and and in some instances, it really fucking hurts forever and yeah. ever and ever. And I I mean. It's one of those things you can't just, like, put a bandaid on it and, and move on. And it's, it's one of those things that's like, well, how how are you healing from it? And it's like, I don't know. <laughs> not, not just that. You can have years of therapy. You can have yeah. a really fucking beautiful family. You can mm-hmm. have a job or, or some sort of income to take care of yourself the way that you always envisioned. Yeah. You can have all sorts of creature comforts. And you can still feel a really deep longing for that validation. And that's completely human and completely acceptable. And it's not, it's not in diametric opposition to healing and well-being. And so I think what people often are asking for when they say, can you find healing is like, can it, can it not hurt anymore? Mm -hmm. 
but sometimes things that are fully healed still hurt. Totally. Yeah. And I think that like, um, I don't know, I guess if anyone's listening and that's their experience, it's okay to not. Yeah. And and those people who were like, I never fucking think of those people anymore and I'm totally okay and happy. Yeah. Those, that experience is okay too. Totally. There is no one right way to heal or to find, Mm -hmm. um, you know, find yourself anchored in the experiences that you've had. I'd say uh, steps around emotional traumas that have happened around family are really to honor those people by taking really good care of yourself, um, determining what woundedness that you carry from those experiences that you might be um, excising into the world or venting off into the world because you've unex- you have unexplored um, woundedness. I think figuring out a way to not carry on that pain um, and hurt others because you were hurt mm-hmm. is and, and, and stopping that cycle is huge in yeah. healing. Um, and I think creating new definitions of who you are and your value and worth intrinsically, regardless of who accepts you and who doesn't, is also a part of that healing work. So, you know, just easy, light things. Uh, yeah. You could probably get it done on lunch break on a Wednesday. No big deal. <laughs> Over some salad. Um, salad for lunch is delicious. This last question, because uh, we only had three. Are you ready for the third? Or we Sure, go for it. It says, um, I'm curious to know why you raise kids as assigned gender at, as our kids. They're asking us. I'm curious to know why you raise your kids as their assigned gender at birth. Not a call out, just want another non-binary opinion. Sweet. So my non-binary opinion is that the children that we have talked about on this podcast have all told us what their genders are. <laughs> <laughs> they sure have. And uh, two of those children that we've talked about on this podcast um, align with the genders that, um, I guess, society expects them to be. They're cisgender. They were assigned that at birth <laughs> by doctors and society, and that's how they still identify. Our, one of our children do not. And <laughs> She's trans. so we use... Their correct pronouns. They use her correct <laughs> pronouns. So, and then we have a tiny baby who we don't gender on the podcast or anywhere other than privately private and with family. And with family um, because we don't know what their gender is. They are 15 months old and haven't told us. Um, and we very much are aware of how society has already tried to gender them. Um, yeah. And I so think. Yeah. And I think for us, you know, first of all, let's talk about the fact that a large amount of parenting community folks who are raising young people don't have any kind of roadmap for uh, child rearing mm-hmm. and guidance through a uh, gender neutral lens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so whenever our children were all born, save for one, the stage of life where I was at in particular, um, and Mo entered much later, um, was just about only understanding a binary. 
Yeah. I didn't know what cisgender heterosexuality was <laughs> or cishet, let alone how to pronounce it. Y'all, I used to pronounce it cishet, which is fine. It's fine. As a Virgo, I'll never forget that that's what I used to do. <laughs> I was like, nobody remembers but, like, that but you. <laughs> it bothers me. No, someone made fun of me on the internet for it. And I never forget when people make fun of me on the internet. Fuck the internet. Anyway. Um, so, so, yeah. On the trajectory of our parenting journey... Um, raising children off the binary has not always been um, a part of our praxis because mm-hmm. we didn't know better. Now that we know better, we do better. And mm-hmm. we also acknowledge there are there are significant limitations and, um, to like resources and things that we are able to do around taking care of our kids, right? So like I've had people message me whenever I first was moderating our Instagram channel and say like, Oh, I know Jasmine and I've seen, I deleted these, these messages because they were ridiculous. I know Jasmine and I see the baby that she just had and she's dressing that baby in boy clothes, like clothes that look masculine. Some of those clothes are fucking hand-me-downs and we're going <laughs> to put our kids in those clothes, right? Also clothes don't have gender. Um, so, so there's some of that. And whenever our youngest baby is gendered, outside of our home we don't do a lot of correcting a lot of this also has to do um to keep in mind a context or container for the conversation is we are a queer that's where i was getting to yeah go Go ahead ahead. nope nope it's fine are you sure whatever go for it oh this is awkward (laughs) i was about to say we're we're queer interracial um not all of us are cis Family living in Arkansas, and so you have to take that in consideration. Right. So some of our engagement around how we handle gender outside of our home um, and outside of our family group is not just about resources, but about um, harm reduction for ourselves, right? Like we, as Mo was saying, we have a lot of um, othering characteristics about our family that makes it really dangerous for us to navigate certain spaces, um, and then also, like, we've created such an affirming space around gender identity that if our child has an assigned uh, gender at birth based on genital presentation or how their genitals are read, and by three or four years old, which is where a lot of emerging gender identity um, happens they start showing something other than that assigned identity on top of the fact that we are very clear about there are no girl or boy toys. There are no girl or boy clothes. Like we, we break the binary in so many ways internally and with our family. Um, I think that our home is a safe place for a young person to articulate their identity as evidenced by the transgender child who already articulated her self-determination to us. So that's why we make that choice. Um, and I have no disrespect for families who um, raise their children as non-binary individuals. I think that there's a lot of thought, I'm sure, that goes into that. I also think it's important for people to understand that like, non-binary is a gender identity, and so you're still assigning... <laughs> it's still an assignment. Yes. You're still determining. <laughs> Gender is a spooky ghost. Gender is garbage. What even is it, really? We're all lizards, though. We it are. doesn't matter. 
Yeah, it's it's so difficult. There's so many layers. Um, and there's just no fucking roadmap for any of this. And so there's just so much grace upon grace upon grace for parents or people who interact with young kids around around things like this. And um, I've had someone message me and say, my parents were hippies that talked about there's no color, there's no gender, there's no nothing. And it really bothered me. She's a biracial black woman. She said it really bothered me on two levels. I didn't ever feel like I could experience like true girlhood and womanhood. Mm-hmm. And that I missed out. And I couldn't experience blackness. Mm-hmm. And gender and, and race, being social constructs, often operate in similar ways. So I'll, I'll, I also wonder about that. I wonder about like, in a speculative future where all children are raised as non-binary, if there will be a place where a person was like, well, I was a, like a hyper femme and I didn't get to be the femme because everyone said that I had to be gender neutral or non-binary. Yeah. yeah I think, that's... you know, I love, no, I love turning that those sort of conversations on their head and like really thinking about it through a sci-fi way. Yeah. Like in a distant yeah, 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 future. Yeah. Totally. Where... Cis people don't have all the power. This Hundreds isn't, this isn't for you. This is for audience. Like Oh, because people for, in the audience yeah, don't understand. It's God. like you can't think that way for now because cisgender folks have so much power. No, no. So I'm talking about like an Octavia Butler's yeah, future. Yeah. Black futurism. Yeah. You know. Where everybody is non-binary and queer as fuck. And you're like, what? I'm actually straight. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> but yeah. Is that what you're talking about? In a way. In a way. Yeah. What other questions do you have for me? Oh, is this my Q&A for you now? I didn't come with any questions. I'm going to bring in some of the popcorn. I'm sure some folks can. Um, I don't know. I didn't have any questions prepared. Cool. Great. I think that's it. We were just answering the Q&As that folks had. And um, if you guys have any more or if something we said didn't make sense or you want more quick clarification on it or you want to keep the conversation going just reach out and let me know and if enough folks have questions we can do another q a um yeah anything else that's it what i could support you with my bad attitude grumpy mcgrumper stains i'm ready for the recording to be over because i really want to eat the rest of the popcorn (laughs) (laughs) okay for those who want to enter into the asmr section of this (laughs) podcast Stick around. <laughs> Are you going to do it? No. Oh, okay, never mind. You only get that for specials. All right, y'all have a good one. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook if you'd like to. And um, that's it. See you next episode. Bye. Bye. Bye.